0: Hey friends, Dean here with some exciting news to share. You can now buy us a coffee. That's right. You can help support independent content creators like us by becoming a member of the 3324 Green Room at buymeacoffee.com slash 3324. Our episodes will always be free and that will not change. But your support at buymeacoffee.com slash 3324 will help us continue to bring you the best in music and movie podcasting in our humble opinion. As a Green Room supporter, you'll not only have our undying gratitude, but you'll also be able to vote on which episodes we record and receive other perks for as low as $3 per month. That's the price of a cup of coffee. There's absolutely no obligation, and nothing about the show will change. It's not going behind a paywall. Go to buymeacoffee.com slash 3324 for all the details. The link will be in the show notes of every episode as well. We'll see you in the Green Room. On this episode of the 3324 podcast, we're going to visit with a group widely given credit for being the creators of heavy metal. But were they really? We're going to talk about that and the riff extravaganza that has led Zeppelin to. Stay with us.
1: Get ready for the 3324 podcast, where lifelong friends Dean Legiro and Eric Cooper share their love of all things music and movies. Dean has directed short films and is a music trivia buff. And Eric, trained in audio engineering, brings his extensive knowledge of music and film to the conversation as they discuss, debate, and celebrate their favorite albums, films, and much
0: more. Welcome, everybody, to the 3324 podcast. My name is Dean Legiro, and I'm here with Eric Cooper. Hi there. How you doing? So we're going to be talking about... Led Zeppelin 2 today. As we always start off, we're going to give you uh, some vital stats, and that's just some of the nuts and bolts, technical stuff. Uh, look at that out of the way so you have a little bit of background. The year that this came out was 1969, and it's actually the second album that, that Led Zeppelin put out in the same year. So Led Zeppelin 2 came out later in, in late 1969, but the debut, just known as Led Zeppelin, came out in the beginning of the year. hmm so it's a pretty uh you know that's pretty prolific for a new band. This album Led Zeppelin 2 had a 400,000 copy advance order. So people were already excited about this or or the the record company felt confident enough to make this order and be confident it would sell and by 1970 it had sold 3 million copies. So this we're talking today about a monster out of the gate, not a slow roll but but longevity.
2: That's a beast right there.
0: I think. It is. Chart performance, I think it's going to go without saying, but when people say that, they say it anyway, so we're going to say it. It went to number one,
2: mm-hmm.
0: and it unseated probably one of the hardest albums to knock off of number one. It un- it unseated Abbey Road from the number one spot. So if you're going to knock somebody off, uh, it might as well be the Beatles with, probably with arguably their strongest album. Mm-hmm. O- overall, 12 times platinum, so we're talking 12 million overall. There was two singles released from this: "Whole Lot of Love," which went to number four, mm-hmm. and "Living Love and Made," which hit number sixty-five. So that really stalled out and didn't
2: go mar- go go anywhere significant, right. right? And the producer was Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page. He was credited as the producer. I think the band con- pretty much conceded to him being the overall producer of the record. So yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, and and we're gonna get into a little just a little bit about Jimmy Page, and and it'll probably make sense why he he should be the producer or why he was it, you know everyone just thinks about jimmy page we're going to get ahead but everyone thinks about jimmy page as just this guitar guy and and slinging these licks but but there's a little bit more to him so we'll we'll, we'll hit that in probably in about 2 minutes <laughs> how did what, what's your history with led zeppelin
2: really early on i guess i mean this album specifically actually was i remember it being in my record cabinet my brother must have bought it. I don't know. Somehow, albums just you know just magically appeared. You open the record cabinet, there's a new album, and I'm kind of going through. This album was one of those albums. I would hear him listen to it pretty early on, and I really dug a lot of the guitarists that you you know we were gonna we were gonna talk about. So uh, that really that really struck me right away about it. Someone who really doesn't know anything at that point. I think I was like I might have been five or six. <laughs> when wow, I first heard that's, it.
0: that's like yeah. a cradle like that's a yeah. like baby in the cradle
2: yeah yeah so you know my brother would play these records and, you know drive my mom crazy and you know that kind of thing so it was it was uh pretty early on of course I didn't know who these people were but, but that's my experience my first experience with Led Zeppelin so yeah I
0: think I think that much like the Beatles everybody has heard a Led Zeppelin song whether or not you know it mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. they – pretty much stairway to heaven is has in every chart, every, like it's been the number one song and you know, when they do like the, they'll do their Memorial day weekend countdown of of the greatest hits and and inevitably stairway to heaven is, is number one. So I think everybody knows a Led Zeppelin song, whether they think they do or not. And I think because of the, the riffs and everything that we're going to talk about, a lot of it ended up getting sampled in, in rap music and in Mm -hmm. other artists. So you you probably have heard it but not realized it and and you absolutely can't escape it. I kind of came to Zeppelin late in life o- only because it's you know, you listen to rock radio when you're young so you hear that kind of stuff but I didn't go out and buy a Zeppelin uh album or or CD until uh probably Zeppelin 4 uh on cassette because that's the one you get. It's got Stairway to Heaven on it. Yeah. So, okay, I'm going to get I'm going to get that one cuz that's the number one song that I'm being told is is the number one song of all time on the radio. So I'll pick up I'll pick up uh, Zeppelin Four or Zoso or Symbols, whatever. Everyone's got a different name for it. <laughs> Stick the guy with the sticks on his back. Or, you know, there's, there's everyone's got something for it. So that's the one that usually everybody gets, and that was my entree into it. Mm-hmm. And then I, I did go back to Zeppelin Two because when I looked at that track listing, when I'm looking to get something else, I was like, wow this this one is chock full. Yeah. Of, of the riffs yeah. um, or maybe what it might have been actually the the there was a box set that came out in 1990 uh, a four disc zeppelin cd set and i bought that and i actually that might have prompted me to pick up led zeppelin 2 i'll tell you why because it had heartbreaker on it but it didn't have living love and made on the box set and i didn't understand why and we'll get yes. we'll get to we'll get to those two songs because they're, 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 they're linked in a unique way and and when i got the, the cd i'm like it's not on here. Why isn't it? So then I had to go out and get Led Zeppelin too. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's, that's the history (laughs) there. And I love hearing that, that we're, we're coming from different areas on it and and different approaches. You, you were basically uh, drinking from a bottle and listening to it. (laughs) And I might've been drinking from a bottle, but it might've been beer by the time I got to it. So we were drinking from different bottles, but we, but we both got there. So let's, let's do the, let's do a little brief history. Mm -hmm. And it's important that there's, I think there's two things that are, important that were going on one of them is is jimmy page before led zeppelin was really a, a session musician
2: yeah pretty pretty straightforward yeah he did a lot of session work he came up with the likes of clapton uh, jeff beck did yeah he did i can't really think of anything i know he played with a few blues artists i think they they kind of worked together did appear in the yardbirds you know, it was Clapton first and then Jeff Beck and then Jimmy Page joined the Yardbirds. So it was like a t- that succession of the three, the main three, as it were. And mm-hmm. a- as
0: actually with the Yardbirds, the, he was such a prolific session worker yeah. that when, when Clapton left the Yardbirds, they had asked Page to join. They said, hey, will you take his place? And Jimmy Page was like, you know what? I'm really comfortable and making a good living as a session man. Yeah. So I'm going to decline the offer, but why don't you ask my friend Jeff Beck? Mm-hmm. And that's what they did. So Jeff Beck,
2: too.
0: you know, and this is like the holy trinity of blues guitarists that we're yeah. talking about. So if you go go search the Yardbirds, it's kind of like they're they're interchanging one with another. They're friends, and and they're actually helping each other out because you know Paige was like, you know, I'm going to take a pass on this right now, but you know what, Jeff Beck, go for him. So they did, and that was after Clapton left, and and Clapton would go on to other things also, which we'll, we'll, we'll touch on. Um, but then what happened is the bass player for the Yardbirds left. So they asked Jimmy Page again and he's like, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll fill in there. So at one point it was Beck and, and Page playing together. Cause then uh, Page did end up playing guitar. So the, the other part of this story is, is what we just talked about is this growing British blues style of music. These, a lot of these young guitar players became enamored with American blues.
2: Right, right. And, um, you know, it was, well, I, I get different perspectives, but they all, I guess they kind of all had the same tastes. Some of them maybe more, slightly more on the rock and roll side of things. Um, you know, the big big guys like Elvis and uh, Chuck Berry, a um, little bit more r and b Influence like I know Jeff Beck was a big fan of that of that kind of stuff and and page two, but they but they all you know they all like Robert Johnson, they all like Willie Dixon, they all liked, you know, some of the names that actually appear on this record. So, you know, they do three covers of uh that are blues covers. But the thing of it was was putting their own spin on it, taking, you know, traditional blues and but adding something to it, which was the birth of something. Really, really great in in, the, in those days, like the sixties, you know, the psychedelic rock was coming into fray. You think of bands like Cream, Clapton joined Cream. He thought he was going to be pretty much leading a, a, a just a blues trio, not realizing what Cream would we ultimately become. This super group of three virtuosic musicians really taking the blues and really expanding on it and making it something unique. And uh, Jimmy Page pretty much did the same thing
0: yeah and, and that's what's important is this this nucleus of blues players yeah because clapton also played in in john Mayall's blues breakers
2: mm-hmm. well this which was, was like another screening. another yeah.
0: seeding ground for for fleet fleetwood mac rose mm-hmm. out of that with uh, mcfleetwood john mcvee and peter green so you've got this fertile english subculture of blues uh purists that that are well they're purists meaning they like the like blues but they're they're putting their own spin you're absolutely right there's the psychedelia was still going strong. There was the hippie stuff. There was still pop stuff that was really popular. So they're immersed in that, but, but the, uh, the basis is the blues.
2: It was, um, I think to them, it was something exotic. It was just, it wasn't the straight up rock and roll with a lot of rhythm guitar playing and sort of the pop hits of the day. They just weren't, they weren't interested in that. And indeed when Clapton left the Yardbirds, he, you know, they were starting to go that pop route which is why he left, because he, he, they started out as a sort of a blues, bluesier band. You know, they, they kind of remained that way with, with Page and, and Beck. So I think they probably had those kind of sensibilities too, to, you know, to, to move on and to do something a little bit more and taking this really exotic music and, and making it their own. So yeah, the birth of Zeppelin, the, you know, Jeff Beck would actually go on to do other things, more of a jazz kind of route, I think. In, in in you know in the '70s he would take more like jazz fusion and he would, you know a little bit of heavy metal sort of you know hard rock but it, what Page and Clapton did uh, was was more much more blues based of the, of like minds even though from what I hear Eric Clapton's not really a fan of Led Zeppelin. No, <laughs> so, you know, you know, he you just, know what? For- you know, he's more of a purist, so he. He, uh, he, kn- he didn't care for the high pitched vocals and the, you know, the screaming guitars and you know, so he, he, he kind of, which is odd because cream was doing that, you know, they were loud, they were plugged in, they were expanding, you know, and, um, it's kind of funny that he would think that way, but after he left cream, I guess he, you know, his, he, he became much more of a purist, whereas page wanted to do something far more experimental.
0: Yep. So, yeah. and, and. The interesting part of this story is yeah, the Yardbirds were were a very popular group in England, a little less so in in the United States. But what ended up happening is, is, yeah, they had kind of peaked. And when Paige was with the group, the fortunes had started to turn. So they really weren't – they were basically on the down slope of of their existence for the most part. So what happens is three members quit the Yardbirds. And Jimmy Page was basically left with the rights to the band. Like he was, the, he was the only guy left in the band, essentially. So he had control of the band, but they had con- contractual concert obligations. I think in Sweden or, or, or Denmark or somewhere. Mm-hmm. So the Yardbirds, how do how do still play concerts even though there was nobody left? So, <laughs> yeah. so he's like a he's like a band without a band, and he's got a, he's got these you know obligations. They have to do these concerts. So. He recruits John Paul Jones on bass. So there's one. Mm-hmm. Robert Plant plucked from obscurity, didn't do anything significant. And the amazing thing about Robert Plant is he's like 20 years old. Plant brought John Bonham with him on drums. So they were going to be called the new Yardbirds. And I think it's a masterstroke that they weren't because I think that at that point, the Yardbirds was, would have been an albatross around their neck of a band that was already on the on the decline you know, mm-hmm. basically you've, you revamped the whole lineup anyway. So why not just go with something different? So I think that was really a smart move. Sure.
2: I heard a rumor too, that it was actually what John Entwistle or Keith Moon who came up of the who, who came up with the name Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Cause it was talk I've about, rumors, about a rumors super, rumors to that effect.
0: Yeah. 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 There right. was, there was talk about like, like mm-hmm. Paige being in a group with with Moon and someone else, you know. They, I guess all these all these people ran in the same circle, so it's not. Because of the it's not surprising
2: with the who, and, yeah, with and it's not surprising.
0: Out. Yeah, and it's and it's yeah. not surprising that these band members would switch, slide in and out. Like Clapton would leave, Beck would come in, and then Paige would come in. You know, they we think of them always groups as like like entities unto themselves but i think the realization is is that all these guys knew each other back then especially england which is a small country so they're you got no no choice but to run into each other and make acquaintances and and then talk about hey let's do this and that so so yeah the, they and whistle supposedly famously coined it that this new supergroup would go over like a led zeppelin which means it would never take off page filed that name away mm-hmm. until later when uh the new yardbirds just a quick story about uh, Jimmy Page meeting Robert Plant for the first time. So a friend uh, of Jimmy Page's took took him to go see Robert Plant sing. And, and Page was like, is there something wrong with this guy? Like, is he a, a, a jerk or is there something with him? Because Page couldn't understand that a guy with this type of a voice and presence, he couldn't understand why he wasn't popular yet. So he thought that there must have been something wrong with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, what's this guy's deal? Because <laughs> know, why isn't he why isn't he popular? And and so so then Paige got to meet him and said, you know what, we, we I got on great with him and, and the rest was history. So that's a funny thing, is is he's looking at the guy so enamored with him. And it's like, what's, the, what's, yeah, what am you? I missing here? Yeah. yeah what's, what, what, are you,
2: what, what are you doing? Yeah, what, am I, <laughs>
0: what am I not being told about this guy? You know? So I thought that yeah. was kind of funny. That's, yeah. a, that's a great, uh, a great story. So they, 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 put out their first album, like I said, in the beginning of 1969. And, and again, there's, if you go look up like albums that came out in 69, these guys are, are caught up in a tidal wave of amazing music. So mm-hmm. um, the first Led Zeppelin album comes out in in the beginning of the year and it does pretty well. Uh the 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 song that everybody pretty much knows is good times, bad times, and there's a whole bunch of other ones, dazed and confused. I mean, every it's almost like the Beatles. Every song is like a hit, you know, to rock music yeah. fans. Right. So then later on in the year, uh Zeppelin II comes out. We're gonna talk about that now. So let we're gonna really dive into Zeppelin II. I have two I have two words to describe Led Zeppelin II. Riff Nirvana. <laughs> it's it is this is like yeah. What, what yeah. like every song? This is where that the I think the Zeppelin uh legend was cemented in, in that in this album is you know only got it's got nine songs, but there are so many iconic and epic riffs that everybody knows on this album that it's just it 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 totally is a leap from the first album. Mm-hmm you know and and on this album even though the zeppelin the first one and 2 came out in the same year plant does not does not really sound the same he does uh, on this uh, on the first album zeppelin 1 he kind of sounded like a young guy on zeppelin 2 he does not sound like a 21 year old guy Mm-mm. you got to remember 21 years old and a whole lot of love and st- it doesn't sound like a guy that young he was he had progressed so much in his vocalizations and his style and, and his, his velocity or whatever he was, he was, however he was singing that it really was. I think that was part of the leap is mm-hmm. besides the, the riffs and, and page kind of coming in to figure out what, it, what, what this was going to be was plant also coming along as the vocalist. Cause he kind of had to.
2: Mm-hmm. It's a much stronger release. And that's, and that's um, very odd considering that the, the songs were actually written while they were touring and they would not record every song was recorded in a different studio with a different engineer. And it was kind of like, I think plant would describe it as kind of a inconsistent mess. It was like, it was like, it just wasn't gelling like with each, with each track, they were different. And it's a Testament to page who kind of pulled it all together with engineer Eddie Kramer. which would be the first appearance of the mainstay engineer that he, he would work with them from this point on. But uh, it was it, its pages. Uh, it, it's the overall mix of the album that you would never know listening to this thing. That it was recorded sporadically all over, all over America, all over you know, in, in the UK, in, in multiple studios, some of which were not up to code. They were they were kind of you know just real shitholes, and so, you know a couple of them just you know more or less and you know and it's a triumph of an album it's it's strong the rec- you know the, the the production value is strong on it so this really kick started i think jimmy page as a, as a producer and i think that's why pretty much the band kind of conceded saying yeah you you're the man for this you know you you got the ear you 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 pull this all together so so there
0: robert plant's fears are not without merit because it can be very easy to feel disconnected if a band gets together and they go into the recording studio, you, you want to knock that whole thing out. You want to get the album done. You're yeah. in the groove. You're, you're collaborating. So if you're in New York and you're recording something here, and then you're at another studio recording something here, it is very easy to, to feel disjointed. And right. you would, you would never know. Like you said, you would exactly. never know yeah. on this album. This mm-hmm. sounds like it was done. It was, it actually sounds like it was knocked off pretty quick the, you know, cause there's not a lot with Led Zeppelin, at least with this album, there's not a lot that needs to get done. They would they would definitely expand their sound mm-hmm. album to album and really open it up. But this one is is it's guitars, it's vocals, it's bass, it's drums.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And th- all three of them the the instruments and then the vocal instrument, they all stand on their own. So I think that's a te- maybe a testament to the simplicity also of the of what Page was trying to do that you could record it somewhere and record another one elsewhere because you weren't trying to, you know, you weren't using a symphony, and you had to get those musicians back, and it sounds a certain way, you know. the 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 fact that this was really kind of stripped down in that aspect lent itself to being able to get these things done on the road, and and yeah, let's book some time here, and, and we'll get this one done, and then putting it all together, which was mm-hmm. masterful.
2: Yeah, it is. It, it is. It's a beast of an album, and 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 getting into the the riff. Uh, a lot of these riffs, I mean, you can't think of any, like, sort of hard rock, heavy metal band. The influence is is just there. I mean, these riffs are that familiar, yeah. you know, even though they might – they're not actually ripping them off per se, but they're – just the riffs are just – you could see how it's influenced the likes of, you know, Black Sabbath and yeah. – and, and down the road, Iron Maiden, and then of course, you know, Metallica, and you know all these other bands, and and they all had that like ACDC. They all had that in common. Those those major major riffs.
0: Yeah, so. and and that whole the whole riffing thing is it's easy to take it for granted. I think also, mm-hmm. um, you you hear these riffs so often on the radio that you just take it for granted that that you. But when you sit down and listen to the album, and I listen to this one a lot in preparation. I, I really kind of like, I think like four times and, and each time I f- again, I find more. And that's what I love about music is if you're open to it and even stuff that you take for granted, like I take, you know, certain songs for granted because I've heard them so many times, but then if you actually just stop and let yourself back in, you hear more. And I'm so glad that I, I think on the fourth time I, I had, I picked up some other nuances and I'm like, wow, I like this song. Even I loved it before. I double love it now. So let, let's jump in. Let's jump into to, to some of these tracks. And, and this is gonna be really This is this is almost like a Led Zeppelin's greatest hits, you could call it. I mean, this one is yeah. just, you know, it's got everything. So it starts out with a whole lot of love, which is actually they didn't actually write it. It was, you know, ended up Willie Dixon. They they kind of lifted it. And and that's something that we're gonna get into also. But when it is the blues, I mean, there's nothing new under the sun. So, they, they, uh, you know, a lot of these songs are adapted or the lyrics are similar enough at, where it's unmistakably that they're they're adapting something. So mm-hmm. it starts out with a whole lot of love.
2: I'm just going to throw it out there. I'm sure a lot of people lost their virginity to this song. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm just going to go there right out the gate. I'm sorry, but, you know, but it's, you know, there's no mistaking what this song is talking about. And uh, so, you know, my, of course, my brother would always brag that this might've been one of those songs that, you know, whatever, but
0: we'll, (laughs) yeah, (laughs) and a lot of blues songs were like, were about that. And and that's the, one of the things about these songs, uh, especially the, the, the ones that, that were originally blue songs, there's a lot of innuendo, but it ain't that subtle. So, they, they, yeah, this—they're this, they're not really shrouding what they're that they're talking about sex, and you, you know they they mentioned, and we'll get to some other songs where it's even more like blatant, and and they're really not hiding. Well, it. it's so, not
2: even it's not even just the lyrics; it's the music too. It's you know those those heavy like the you know those chords, those uh, very exotic, very sexy. That's that's why I love blues. I, I find it extremely sexy, you know, music in general. You know, they could be talking about the worst things in the world going on to them, you know, whatever personally, but I always love those, those, those classic riffs and then just the, just the underlying sexiness of it, you know, it's erotic. It's, you know, so of course they would take that to the next level with this, with this track and and creating all these weird in the, in the middle of the song, all this strange kind of, soundscape of of what's going on there, but by the end of it, you kind of, okay, I get it. (laughs) I I get what they're, what they're doing here. So, you know, you can't mistake it. Um, Yeah. And
0: and this would start off a whole lot of love would literally is like the first shot across the bow of, of, of these epic riffs that that Paige would come up with. And this one, the, the thing about this one is it's the same riff over and over and it's unrelenting. It's, it's pounding 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 and really what I' found about this song is I like that that guitar work actually better than the solos I, I think overall on on zeppelin 2, I don't think it's it's Paige's strongest guitar solo work honestly I, I find myself really getting back into the groove when when the solos over it and they kick back into overdrive and they're and they're back into into the pulsing groove and the riff and he just keeps nailing it so for me, Whole lot of love is just that unrelenting riff that just doesn't stop,
2: and it's it's all rhythm, all rhythm. You know, John Paul Jones on this, the bass line, the, you know, Bonham with those heavy drums. I mean, he was he was kick. This is widely considered to be, I think, I think it's known as their hardest album. Do you agree with that?
0: I would, I would not
2: dis not, I would
0: not disagree with that, just because it's so riff heavy. Yeah, you know, and it, and it's one of those things. So, and oddly enough, the the next song though is and this is the beauty of this album is mm. they there's it's riff heavy but you're not going to get blasted over the head with it and that's what makes each one of these memorable too i think if if a lot of these song, if the order was different a lot of these riffs would almost get blurred together or you would just get kind of numb to it so the next song is what is and should never be which and is my
2: favorite track off of, yeah. it's just a great yeah, it's I just, just love a great song of this song i love the slow that slow groove plant has never, you know, never been sexier as a, as a singer, just leading. And then, and then he kicks into that high pitch voice and when the, when the song kicks in the drums and it's amazing, it's just, yeah. It remains is probably one of my all time favorite Zeppelin songs. Yeah. yeah and I'm,
0: I'm going to say, yeah. I'm going to backtrack a little bit and say how I didn't like Paige's guitar solo work for, for the most part, this is the only song that I really like the guitar work because it, it is a little bit more soulful it's not you know mm-hmm. blasting notes out like a shotgun and and it really that that's it, it enhances this song it's it's in line with it and and i think it fits a lot more and then and then john paul jones his his work on this too we can't under re, really understate what he's always behind the scenes he's always like a background guy but he he just supports page in the right way it's so it's so important um but he gets a little action on this one to well, that to kind that,
2: of that rhythm section is just Monster Paul Jones and 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 Bonham together, they're arguably one of the greatest rhythm sections of any band. I, Absolutely, you know.
0: no no disagreement. You will you will not get a. I'm not saying they're my favorite bass player and my favorite drummer, but by by no, no means they're they're not. But you cannot discount what what they bring and and what Bonham's particular talent as a drummer. Kind of like Keith Moon, they have a particular talent that fit moon's moon's particular talent and way of playing fit the who you know that un kind of unbound thing and bonham is the same thing here what he brings to this is is a little bit you know the the grooves are straight ahead the riffs are straight ahead but bonham is in the back just kind of doing some different stuff and, and kind of keep you know and that's maybe one of the things that, that always frustrated me about bonham and that's why maybe why he's not my favorite is because i could never predict him mm-hmm. you know his stuff would be a little off tempo or or just putting a snare drum where I wasn't expecting one. So I'm trying to like, like play along or or tap along. And then it's changing. I'm like, what is this guy doing? Like it would frustrate me, but that's the brilliance of it is that he was able to keep you guessing and thereby keep you engaged.
2: Yeah. And that's what a good drummer should do, or at least a lot of the drummers back then did was to kind of step out of those main, you know, main beats and just could sort of play behind the beat or uh, come up with some odd riff that you, and it's not in, in, in in the exact time or whatever, so yeah, it's it's unique. It's he was unique in that in that sense. But his drums, but he had that heavy foot, you know, that bass drum. I mean, it's just killer. As there's no, I can't think of any other drummer like that, really. No. I mean, I as far as the heaviness of those drums, it was a yeah. real rock and roll drums. I mean, they're they're. You, you spoke of Keith Moon. He was a maniac. He was all over the kit, all over the place. But there's a sort of relentlessness to. Uh, John Bonham's playing that is just, I'm here, deal with it, you know, kind of thing. He's just, he was amazing.
0: Yeah. And and he he also needs to be also grounded though, to support what, it's not like he's, he's just playing whatever he wants for the sake of it. I mean, he's, he's doing those different things, but he needs to be in support because when you're playing the blues, you have to get back in. You've got to really support what, what the structure of the song is. So he was, you know, just really masterful at that. Mm -hmm. So speaking of, of more blues, the next song is the lemon song, which is a rewrite and credited to Chester Burnett, which is better known as Howlin' Wolf Mm -hmm. in the blues circuit. Um, And Howlin' Wolf had a song called Killing Floor. This is essentially a rewrite. And and basically a a lot of the songs that Led Zeppelin got in trouble for is they got in trouble for after. They didn't didn't do these songs with permission. They did a whole lot of love, and Willie Dixon afterward came after him. And they did the Lemon Song and... Howlin' Wolf's record label, or wherever it came afterwards. So, is there a little bit? You know, you could say, is there some plagiarism going on, or is it? Are they honoring them? Or you know, there's. A, I think there's a little bit of everything in there. Obviously, because they weren't trying to hide it. It's not like they, you know, changed the lyrics, but the the melody was the same. They're, they're basically singing the song. So, so it is. They are really showing their love for the blues on this album, also by picking you know, blue songs, but these songs were like from the sixties, like early sixties, blue songs. So these aren't like the 1932 Robert Johnson stuff. So it's relatively recent too. So I don't know. I don't think that, I don't know if they were kidding themselves that maybe they thought they were going to get away with something that was so recent.
2: Well, the thing of it was too, was a lot of these blue blues players were, they didn't have the solid record contracts that, you know, a lot of these guys had. So you could argue that, I mean, especially if you go, if you go way back, you know, like Robert Johnson's time, even, you know, that the songs almost became public domain because, and so, you know, a lot of these blues artists would cover each other back in the day and they, and they would come up together, but they would, you know, if somebody came out with a great song, Hey, I'm going to play that too. So the songs are more or less that there was really no, no, no sense of publishing rights or anything back then. There was just, the songs were just out there. I don't know if that same thing was going on at this point in time, but that could be part of it. That could be that could explain why these songs were so easily adaptable, and so why why they you know just pick you know this particular song to do for for whatever reason. Maybe they just they just couldn't come after them or something. I mean, it was just so divided too. You got to remember that you know the songs were just almost out there for everyone to to, to to pick up and and just do what they will with it. So, but yeah, yeah this whole, one, whole lot
0: whole lot of love wasn't that didn't go to court. Or or settlement until 1985. So that was well after they decided to. Uh, Killing Floor, which is the Lemon Song, that was pretty much right right there. It's like, well, you you took this song, and, and I think he got like a, a check for forty five thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Helen Wolf, and that was settled. So so we're talking about innuendos. Well, here is the, uh, this is the song. This is the song that's got the, the most overt innuendo. Squeeze, squeeze my lemon till the juice runs down my leg. Take, if you if you think that that's about a lemon and lemonade,
2: uh-uh.
0: I, you, this might not be the podcast for you.
2: Uh-uh.
0: Or you may need to look it up. So the the like I said with the blues and, and the innuendo and and saying it in a different way and the way Plant delivers it on this song is yeah. just there's no other way to think about it. He's not talking about citrus.
2: No, not at all. <laughs> and we'll just leave it at that <laughs> he's not he's not no, no he's not
0: <laughs> so ch- check it out and if you've never heard the lemon song it's 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 a great song it's just mm-hmm. a great you know it's it's really good I, I love it and then and then this follows up with with thank you and this closes out the first side if we're talking about album cassette this was the the first song that plant actually wrote all the lyrics to he had been co-writer on some other stuff but this one was Totally written by him, and and what it did it, from Jimmy Page's point of view is it reassured him that Plant could actually handle songwriting duties, and it was. It, and Page actually felt a little better backing away from that and letting him do that. And, and Thank You was written about his wife. And if you listen to the song,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you're, you're not going to get any other message. It's just a beautiful. So it's a beautiful, great like debut of a full, fully written. It really is. You know, yeah. lyric.
2: My second favorite track off the record. <laughs> I, lo- I love yeah. the riff on this one too the guitar riff that starts it off almost sounds like what later you would hear this kind of riff later on thing on physical graffiti albums of that vein. Like I, you know, 10 years gone comes to mind that, that great riff on that. It's a little bit slower, but it kind of reminds me of that. Yeah. It's another, another gem, another evergreen,
0: such a, such a great song. And, and so closes out and and that's a, that's a, a slow song. It's not, it's certainly not a blues song and it's, and it, it, it does, signal a, a, a different direction also for Led Zeppelin. So once Plant comes into his own, you're going to see something change eventually, but not before we get to side two and heartbreaker. I just want to take a quick moment and thank you for listening. Your Your support means so much to Eric and I. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider. So please subscribe. It would be awesome. And if you're using Apple podcasts, a rating and review would be doubly awesome. And your feedback is invaluable. So let's keep the conversation going on Instagram and Facebook at 3324podcast. You can let us know how we're doing. If you have any requests, you can post them there. Or if you just want to talk about one of the episodes or ask a question, we'd love to interact with you and we absolutely look forward to it. Thanks. Let's get back to the show. As as iconic as a whole lot of love is to open the first side, I think Heartbreaker for me, I, I think it ups the ante. I like that riff like that riff it's 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 unmistakable but i just really like it a lot more and and what i like about it also which i caught on on my latest my last listen was in between the riff he's just doing some little guitar i don't know slides up and down up and down the neck or whatever he's doing but it sounds like the guitar is growling he's getting just a a really Interesting sound in between each each riff. So he's he's firing off these riffs at will, absolutely. But in between, he's working the neck, and you just hear these other sounds he's getting. And then the bass from John Paul Jones is so thick and deep, it sounds like it's melded to the guitar. It it sounds like it's one sound. You actually can't, uh, for me, I almost can't pick out the bass being plucked. Like you could usually sometimes you could hear the bass being played. This is so thick and heavy and it's so pushed into the guitar that it just sounds like one, it's like one sound, which is so beautiful.
2: It's it's almost like one guy playing, it's playing both parts simultaneously. Yeah. That's what it sounds like. It's that close. Yeah.
0: I love it. I love it. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. And then the, the the best thing about heartbreaker and and this kind of set the stage for, we will rock you by queen, right? When, when we will rock you by queen was played, is played on the radio Immediately after "We Are the Champions" is played, you will ever, never hear, unless it's a really bad radio station. "We Will Rock You" and then "We Are the Champions" they're two totally different songs, but they're always played next. They're always played, you know, their lead in. It's a lead back, in song, yeah. and that's how you heard those songs on the radio. You did not hear "We Will Rock You" without "We Are the Champions." Well, Zeppelin really started this because "Heartbreaker" ends and "Living Love and mate, Kicks off not even a second after, so they're not mixed together. They don't fade into each other. It just living, loving, made just starts so quickly mm-hmm. that when when they played Heartbreaker on the radio, and that's how I grew up hearing Heartbreaker and Living, Loving, Made as one complete thought. And that's what pissed me off. Right. We, we we got to is is when I bought the the CD box set. And I'm listening to Heartbreaker, and Living Loving Made is not right after. And I'm like, what are they doing? Do they not understand how the, how this went on rock radio?
2: Right. It was. It was. Yeah. It was a staple. It was. It was a given that these two songs were one almost. It was just. Yeah. It's right into one another, and it's. it's you've heard it for that that way for years, and yeah, it's odd to hear them separated. It really yeah. is. I mean, and then the, like you said, the cassette actually. I think side one on the cassette ends with Heartbreaker. And Living Loving Maid starts on on side two, which is odd. Which is odd.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't like that.
2: No, I don't and, either. And,
0: and Living Loving Maid has got its own groove. It, it's, it, it just, kind, it almost, you know, Heartbreaker kind of ends and then they just give you another shot, which is really nice. They, they don't do this. It actually doesn't really happen at all with two epic riff songs in a row like this. So it's really nice that you get a double shot. And, and live and love and made is probably my favorite song on the album if I had to pick one independent one. Mm-hmm. It might be that because of that riff and he just keeps again just so effortlessly firing off this these riffs so consistently. You don't hear it like like he doesn't play it a little differently each time or 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 sustain a different note. The the riff is just driving driving and he's devoted to it. Oddly enough, he said this is his le- Jimmy Page said that's his least favorite song. and They never played it live. Really? Oh, he didn't
2: like, he didn't like living love me, but I do. You know, may, I I guess maybe you can understand. I mean, it is arguably, it doesn't really sound like anything else on the album. It's faster. It's 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 the fastest song on the album. It may be more, slightly more mainstream. Yeah. It's definitely the the shortest too. Yeah. So it is an odd, it is an odd track for them. You know, you don't really hear them do this, that kind of straightforward like riffing and and just the the speed of it too often. In, in yeah, because it, so, the, the the
0: the solo <laughs> is pretty short on this also, so yeah. it's almost like a it's almost like a mini. And maybe that's why they released it as a single because it's almost like a mini version of Whole Lot of Love, where it's got the riff, 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 unrelenting. Whole Lot of Love, I think they had to cut down, but Whole Lot of Love has that whole middle part. It's instrumental, it gets echoey, and there's a lot of stuff going on. Living Love and Made is kind of the same thing. It, it, it's this unrelenting riff, but the solo is a lot shorter. And then they get back into the song, and it's re- that's re- I think it's really made for radio consumption, you know, just on its own, but it doesn't stand up without Heartbreaker in front of it, kind of propping it up and, and getting you kind of juiced up. And then Living Love and Made comes in.
2: This is the kind of song that to me evokes, you know, when you think of bands like Foo Fighters, you know, just the the kind of riffing that Dave Grohl does on, on a lot of those songs. And, and again, the speed of it, you know, it, it's not the bluesy thing that you're used to hearing that Zeppelin does. And they would do like odd tracks along the way, but this, but yeah, it's, it's almost out of place, but with Heartbreaker, it's almost part, two, you know, it's part of that, to me, it's part of Heartbreaker. It's part of that mm-hmm. song. It's one for me. To, to split them up, it, it doesn't make any sense to me. But that's the they way did it, goes. it on the box yeah. set. So, I don't know. On the- <laughs> so this was this was 1990, yeah. so
0: this is this was pre-internet. So I couldn't go on a, a, a board. I couldn't Twitter it. Couldn't do much except for sit in front of the CDs and just stew in anger.
2: Yeah,
0: <laughs> that it wasn't there. And then, but you know what? Brilliant on Atlantic Records because then then I had to go out and get the CD for Led Zeppelin II, and uh, it exposed me to all the other stuff. So actually, kudos to Atlantic Records. You're very smart. You got me to buy a four CD box set, and then I bought the album anyway. There you go. Kudos. So next up, ramble on. Now, if there was any if there were any geeks back in 1969, this was their song. This is where the Lord of the Rings references start to come in and the and the fantasy elements. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of one of those songs that you hear. And, and if you're into if you're into Lord of the Rings or if you're into the fantasy stuff and you hear this reference, and because it's basically what it's about great bass work by John Paul Jones. I mean, he's just, his fingers are just rolling on this song, just really supporting it. it, it it's another riff based song, but it's, it's, it's really, uh for me, this is kind of like
2: a plant showcase. Well, plant, I, I mean, ultimately I think he was more, he was into a lot of like English folk, you know, and you see, you hear that now, like nowadays he's doing that kind of thing. I'm solo wise. He's, he's going out and, and all these different troops and whatnot, but I know he was a huge fan of Tolkien. And so, the song really evokes that it really, even without the, you know, the Tolkien references in it, it, the song itself evokes sort of a a fantasy type journey, you know, road kind of fellowship of the ring thing. They're all on the journey kind of thing. And I love the, 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 the rhythm, the the sort of tapping that starts off and the acoustic guitars, and it slowly builds up and and it just, you know, and again, that when, when plant kicks in with that vocal, it gives me chills like every time it's like, you know uh, the drum kicks in and then his, and then his vocal just takes you to other places in this thing. So yeah, it's it, another great track, probably a little overplayed, I think. You think so? Really? Song, yeah, I think so. I think of really? all the songs off the, off this record, I think it it might be the one I like least and it only in the sense of it's just, you know, the, the, I've heard it just like just a million times and it's just. Hmm one of the first Zeppelin songs that people tend to go to, I think, you know, really? So, I would, yeah. yeah. That's interesting. That's yeah, an interesting I, thought. I, I, I mean,
0: know. I definitely recognized it when it came out, when I heard mm-hmm. it, not, not to the extent of the, of the other songs on this album, but but it is one of those songs that uh, like New York rock radio, like WNEW FM back in the heyday, they would go to these, they would go deeper into these albums. So this, oh, yeah. again, this was no, not, it was a number one album, but certainly not a pop hit, a pop darling. It was a rock darling. And and this is where those those deep album cuts would come from is when everybody was playing Heartbreaker or you know, whole lot of love, it's like, okay, well, let's go some let's go even further. And and I think Ramble On is is only one of two songs that I know of that talk about Lord of the Rings. This one, and then there's a song called the The Ballad of Bilbo Baggins by Leonard Nimoy <laughs> on his, his his album Highly Illogical, which I have. And he does a song about Bilbo Baggins and his adventures. So, if you're looking for a, a, a companion piece to Lord of the Rings, you've got Leonard Nimoy with the Ballad of Bilbo Baggins. So that's kind of like the you know that's like the pre the prequel. So listen to Leonard Nimoy's song first, get that one in, and then and then and then listen to Ramble on, and you get the sequel. You get Lord of the Rings.
2: Well, actually, all my love all my all of my love has referenced uh, Tolkien as well.
0: Oh, there's see there's that? A couple
2: of name drops, and that I proud Arion, and you know that's from Lord of the Rings as well. So, for all you geeks out there, you know if you don't know, there's two songs right there that re- reference your what you love. So, check yep, it out.
0: Two, two, two from Zeppelin, and one yep. from the the, the golden throated <laughs> vocals of, of Leonard Nimoy, which I actually <laughs> really like that album. So, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna stand I'm gonna stand on ballad of Bilbo Baggins oh, firmly. You- as as a, a, a good song also
2: oh you like that better than shatner come on absolutely really
0: nimoy oh, wow. yeah, nimoy, nimoy actually tried to sing he that's did, why shatner shatner I'm would joking. give like a dramatic reading of of like whatever he was singing he would kind of just kind of act it but oh if, my God. Leonard, yeah. if you listen to letter if you listen to letter nimoy had like a bunch of albums in the 70s so he was actually like a recording artist proper yeah, yeah. and he's he did like if i had a hammer and uh Abraham Martin and John so he actually was was giving an attempt at it 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 sounds right. like spock singing giving it a go <laughs> but you know what are what are you going to do so we'll we'll take the uh the on ramp awesome. back onto led zeppelin 2 and we're going to go next to moby dick which is a whale of an instrumental
2: ah, ah. <laughs> I've been waiting, I've
0: been I've been waiting all week I'm sure you have. I yeah. had that written like a week ago and I, I'm like, I just kept it in my pocket. So okay. it, it, this is a straight up instrumental. So there's, there's no vocals, you know, plant sits this one out and it is again, it's riff based, but really it kind of like John Paul Jones and, and Jim and Jimmy page kind of get it started and then kind of see, see John Bonham off, you know, into, into doing his own thing.
2: Yeah. This is, this is, uh, this is, Bottoms' moment, if you will, and this, but not without again a great guitar riff in this song, and again evoking the that what would become very familiar, very standard type of riffing going on in, in a lot of heavy metal music. So I've, I've, I, I, this this song in particular for me, probably you know just as much as whole lot of love, you know, just. Just that, that riff, it just it just sounds so familiar to me. I I've, I've, I've felt like I've heard this before, you know, and then you, you hear like later music and it's like, oh, that sounds like Moby Dick. I felt like the first time I actually heard this, and this is not when I was a kid, by the way, I mean, I, I didn't listen to the entire album back then, but when I finally did listen to, I felt like I had heard this song before. It just sounded so w- oddly familiar to me. And I don't, I I can't put my finger on it. Why? But it just, it just did. And that happens from time to time in music. You just, maybe my, I heard my brother listening to it. Maybe, so I don't know, maybe it was just stuck in my subconscious or whatever, but it just sort of, I heard this already. I know this. How do I know this? Yeah. And and, and it's 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 certainly,
0: and it's certainly not one of Led Zeppelin's most known. works. I mean, we're, we're talking about one album, which has a, a, a wealth of of these kind of riffs on it and we haven't you know we didn't talk about the ocean and you know black dog and, and all these other songs too so so moby dick is is really going to be down on the list but it does have something very familiar to it and and again it just kind of keeps you know he, he remains committed to it page they they just keep doing it and and keep kind of pressing it and then they let it go and and Bottom gets a really long extended drum solo. I don't even know if I wouldn't call it necessarily a drum solo. It's not, not a sure. solo. It, it's, it's not it. a solo like like when you go to a concert and and the guy's just doing everything. It, it really is him playing a song. It, it, he's not playing the riff of, of Moby Dick, but he's given the middle part of the of the of the song just to kind of do what he wants with it, yeah. you know. And I don't I don't I don't say it's a drum solo per se
2: it's it's not in a conventional you know in in a in a, so, in a conventional sense it, it's more he's playing music is what he's doing i mean he's doing his own thing with drums i mean it's it's like somebody noodling with the guitar or or a keyboard you know he's this is john bottom doing just that and you know he was very good at it too i mean he you know there are a couple of different of songs down the road that he would do the same thing and this is a testament to his drumming it's almost like what can I, well, I really can't compare the two but I mean Neil Peart would do the same thing with odd time signatures and things like that I mean he would go off in these weird sort of rhythmic patterns and that kind of thing and that, as a drummer I I totally appreciate that you know absolutely so
0: absolutely and and you know what a, a good contrast is how 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 I mean this is not like a drum solo it's not like Ringo Starr playing at the end of Abbey Road where he's got these drum fills and yeah. he's, you know kind of filling it. Those that, that that kind of work that he was doing uh, on the end of of Abbey Road with Ringo same year. Those were kind of like drum solos even th- or they might have been you could have called them longer fills. Yeah. But that was more drum solo-y. What what Bonham is doing is he's he's playing the drums as an instrument proper as a part of a song. And then you know Page and 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 Jones meet him on the other side. They pick Pick it back up, and and they and they see the song out. So it's a really nice, uh, just a nice experiment and and a nice listen. And, and it's a, definitely a change of pace too. It's, it doesn't sound like anything else on the album aside of you know the 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 riff based, but everything else from it is 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 different.
2: Oh, you know what it sounds like, rock and roll hoochie coo. Yeah. Right, that that riff is there. There you go. That
0: would be be rick derringer stealing rick derringer yeah yeah <laughs> again they're, they're, you know, <laughs> there's no original ideas anymore mm-hmm. and, and that you might have something i might have to go and 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 youtube that and see if someone's got a comparison with it already i'm yeah. sure somebody does just
2: came to me There so, so, it is <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely absolutely brilliant so the last song oddly enough is called bring it on home and it's credited to willie dixon so someone got paid I believe his record company uh, went after Led Zeppelin on behalf of him. I don't, I don't, in this case, I'm not sure. I could be wrong. I, I think Willie Dixon wasn't even aware mm. that that they went after. Maybe it was Helen Wolf. There, there's so there's so many lawsuits associated with this album. It's hard to keep track. So, it, it, and and here's the thing about this about bringing on home is it starts off with like a bluesy, really kind of like a processed vocal with harmonica. Yeah. Um, that that part of it is is what the lawsuit was about.
2: Yeah, because it's um, more traditional. It's much th- it, more that was the song in the original arrangement. Yeah, right. Yeah,
0: and then what I love about this song is is when you're listening to it, you think, okay, this is how they're going to close out the album with something traditional, and it's kind of it's got that really deep bluesy harmonica. No, I'm nope. sorry, I'm sorry, <laughs> J- Jimmy pa- Jimmy Page is not going to let that stand. Mm-mm. And and what I love about it is because you you got that that whole beginning part with with that vocal. It's about a minute long, so your ears actually get used to hearing that type of a of, of processed vocal, whatever they did with it. So when they decide to change it and kick in, the instruments actually sound more alive, and, and it almost sounds like a, a new band. And, and they just like they, they kick the door down. Well, it's basically on this, really, yeah,
2: yeah. It's basically saying this is what we're doing, this is what we're about. We're taking the, the traditional blues and we're we're changing it up right? In, yeah. in the same song. And all, it's a great, you know, such
0: a great example, yeah. such a great example because yeah. the, the, the middle part is the stuff that they wrote. So, so they did kind of co-opt a song in, in the beginning and the end. And then the middle part is what they did with it. Um, and it's, it's absolutely brilliant because it, it totally fools you. you you're kind of like, all right, you know, I heard an instrumental and then they're going to, they're going to see me off into the sunset with this bluesy thing. And they just kind of, nah, that's not going to happen. We've got, we've, we've got more riffs in, in the chamber, And we we got to, you know, we got to empty the cartridge. It
2: it almost sounds like, you know, the song is going to fade out like within 30 seconds of it. It sounds like this little odd sort of end piece. And then you think it's, it's, that's the end of the album, but no, it, yeah. Like you say, they just, they finish it off in style. So
0: yeah, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. it's yeah. Such a, such a great listen. It's Mm -hmm. such such an iconic album. And I'm so happy to, to be able to talk about this one. It's highly recommended. This is like, rock rock and roll 101 yeah you know if you're if you're thinking about well what should i listen to or or i kind of like rock and roll and i've heard stuff but i'm not sure led zeppelin 2 should just be there because it's it's going to be something that you'll be able to go to and and listen and really uh, the riffs just make it so easy and so fun it's so fun to listen to because the riffs are just like they just kind of roll off and it's like oh yeah that even if you never heard of it it's it's so it's so tuneful that it's enjoyable
2: It's solid. As an end note, I mean, it's like Led Zeppelin is just one of those bands that you do take for granted that they are great in the in in the few albums that they made from '69 to '79 in a decade. You wear them in your back pocket. You know, you go on and you listen to other things. You know, you're changing with the times, that kind of thing. They never really sort of deviated from what they were doing, but you know that. Yeah, I'm going to put on a Zeppelin album, and it's going to be great. Yeah. You know, so they they would they, this consistency would would you know would go on the whole the whole t- ten years that they would they would be together. Yeah, um, I think it was
0: a. Th- I think it was a. Th- you're right. It's a. Th- it was a through line. The, their sound did change. They did embrace like "Over the Hills and Far Away" and some of these other songs. So there there was a change. They didn't just stay this way but there are chock full of zeppelin albums that will have these iconic riffs they all sound different too it's not like it's not like he's recycling like the like i said the ocean and custard pie and there's just so many like this guy's like an endless like like river of riffs that are are each so unique and he just plays them so effortlessly mm-hmm. and, and it really was the soundtrack of the 70s as far as rock radio goes zeppelin was there from the beginning literally i mean i i sometimes find it hard to believe that they actually started in the 60s because i don't think of them as a quote-unquote 60s band they are firmly everyone thinks oh led zeppelin in the 70s well not really like two other albums were before that but they're so iconic to the 70s that you you just kind of think of it and that's what when you think of rock in the 70s it's probably zeppelin Rolling Stones, you know those bands that were just still being prolific and and carrying carrying you through the '70s with those iconic sounds. So, yeah, this, and this is one of them. So mm-hmm. let's talk. Let's. So we've got some some other subjects we need to hit, and I actually want to talk about the use of Led Zeppelin songs in movies because it's not done a whole lot. But there was a song from from this album from Led Zeppelin too that was used to such spectacular effect in, in really such a meaningful way. And that was Silver Linings Playbook. Yes. Where, you know, the, the, there's a scene, you know, for, if you haven't seen Silver Linings Playbook, we will probably end up doing an episode on it. It is it is a great film from David O. Russell. It's the, it's the first pairing of Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence. And Jennifer Lawrence won the Academy Award for that. Bradley Cooper's character ca- deals with bipolar issues and is prone to... to severe bouts of of aggression mm-hmm. and this song he he had just basically come back from a, a conflicting situation for him let's put it that way so he he gets home to his parents house and he wants to look for his old wedding videos and he's trying to find the the photographs what is and should never be starts playing and it it fits in the in the manic episode that he's having so strongly and I didn't I was like and now, when I hear it, I, I'm actually picturing that scene in my head. It is so connected.
2: Yeah, um, I just recently watched a miniseries called Sharp Objects that uh, me and my wife we just watched, and that whole that whole miniseries is the Zeppelin's songs galore. There's, they use I, I, almost ten songs throughout the whole series. You know, Amy Adams is in that; she plays the title character. It's sort of a murder mystery kind of thing. You know. Revisiting your past is—it's like a mystery, and she's like constantly in the car. And every time she's in the car, is that you hear a Zeppelin song, and it's not that just the hits. I mean, you there's some deep cuts that they play in this thing. You know, the Rover, like in my in my time of dying, uh, ten years gone. You know, those those kinds of songs are in it too. But, but at the very end, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody. But at the very end, it, it, there's a song that's used to great effect. And that's in the, in the evening throughout the, throughout the entire series, you hear the, just the beginning part with all that weird, like, you know, but at the very end, the song just kicks in at the, at just the right moment. And it's, it's amazing. I was like, I, I, that gave me chills. And it also just was like, wow, that was an amazing ending to this thing just because of that song, you know? So, yeah,
0: I think, I think the but, winner for Led Zeppelin song use in a movie hands down is the immigrant song in Thor Ragnarok. It is used twice. It is used twice yes. in that, in that movie to such great effect, just because of the lyrics are kind of like come from the land of the ice and snow and hammer yeah, gods. It's, it, it's kind of, it's, you know, like it's, it's very Thor ish. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I first heard it in, in, in the movie, I got so excited. I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe they're using this song. Can't believe Led Zeppelin let them use it. And then, and then, at the at the end part of the film they use it again when when thor really like powers up and really starts Mm -hmm. and that's really when it really is used to even better effect because it's it's blasting and, and you hear like robert plant wailing and and thor is like throwing lightning bolts everywhere and people are getting lit up all over the place it's just i think that that as much as i love silver linings playbook I think Immigrant Song was really used well in, in Thor Ragnarok. Oh, absolutely. And, and kudos, it's, kudos to Marvel for getting it and kudos to Led Zeppelin for letting him use it.
2: Well, the best thing about Marvel is that they use all these great songs from the 70s, right? I mean, it evokes the Guardians sort of, you know, keeping up with that, what, what Guardians started with that tradition of old yeah. 70s songs. And even though Immigrant Song is is familiar, it's like you say, it's it, 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 you couldn't pick a better song. You know, and so it's the, the only song, song in, in, in in the in the movie. Like it's the only so, and to to play it again, <laughs> especially when it was like you know the hammers like you know going around. And yeah, that was awesome.
0: Yeah, usually usually like know. when you get a yeah usually when you get a song you use it once for, for the effect that it's wanted. But mm-hmm. it actually it was used twice. In both times, it was used brill- The first time was a surprise. The second time was a surprise that it was used again. But it, it fit even better into what it was doing. It was almost, uh, it's,
2: so, it's so weird. It a it's so a theme song for the movie, right? I mean, it's all about that mm-hmm. too. Like at the very end, it's like they're all immigrating from one place to another. So yeah. That's yeah. True. So the Come, song is earth. just used to great effect. So yeah.
0: Let's talk about heavy metal. So there's a lot of stuff. When I was doing research and you hear it, Led Zeppelin is considered the father of heavy metal for some reason, or or there there's actually three names. There's three groups that, that were founded in the same year, that are considered the fathers, or or each one could lay claim to the crown of, of the father of heavy metal. So here's the three. So Led Zeppelin is is the first one considered. Okay, these guys invented heavy metal. Second one is Deep Purple, mm-hmm. started in the same year. The third one is Black Sabbath. These were these groups were all founded in the same year. They're all talked about in the same breath as being the the creators or, or the catalysts for heavy metal.
2: Mm-hmm. What do you think? I you know Zeppelin not so I don't much. buy it. I don't buy it. I don't either. I maybe like we were talking about maybe this album would be the closest. You could see, you know, just by the riffs alone, you could see why people would would say that. But metal to me, it seems like they were only – they were in it for to just to be louder than one, than the other. Black Sabbath to me is the one that truly kicked that off. I think, um, and then you know you go from them from them to like Iron Maiden, and then you go from them to yeah. I don't I don't think I, Deep Purple fits
0: in this conversation either though because when Deep Purple first came out, they were kind of like a psychedelic. They were more of a psychedelic yeah, band, and yeah. they had songs like Hush and yeah. So I, I don't think. I think people are going off of the reputation of what Deep Purple would come when, when Ian Gillen joined the band and Smoke on the Water and, and you know, Woman from Tokyo and, and stuff like that. But at the beginning, I, I don't see Deep Purple in that conversation. I see Black Sabbath. If, if yeah. I'm picking one of these three, yeah. If, if you listen to the early Black Sabbath stuff that, and, and the fact that they their, their sound progressed into what would be heavy metal, I don't think – uh, if you begin with Led Zeppelin, I, I can't even make a. I can't. Even, I don't think I can make a case for Led Zeppelin to to even sound like metal myself. It, it's blues, and they. It's not like they progressed into heavy metal. They. They. When you get to into the outdoor, they were using synthesizers and not in a metal way. I would. They say, were would, using them as as atmospheric and and as as enhancement. So I, I can't see that. If anything, Led Zeppelin I was a,
2: was a progenitor of heavy metal. I would say they were more progressive band. You can make that yeah, argument stuff, because they yeah. were constantly experimenting. They were constantly, you know, doing more than just playing the riffs. You know, they were, you know, pin, like we were saying, like Jimmy Page would go on to be doing, creating all of these these textures and playing the, the guitar with the, you know, the bow and getting these weird sort of sonic things. And it was all about creating sound and, and, and doing something different.
0: What I, what I, I think know. it was, I, I think it was also the – the, the knockoff bands in the eighties is, is what did it. I think that's what, that's where Zeppelin got the, I think the, the, the reputation from. Yeah. So there's bands like, like kingdom come was a band in the eighties. I think they were Danish or the European. And the guy obviously sounded trying to sound like Robert plant. So, Oh, the, and these guys were metal. So a metal hair band. So, Oh, then, then if they're trying to sound like, like plant, then led Zeppelin must've been metal. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jason Bonham, who's John Bonham's son, he had a band called Bonham and they had a song, go look it up on YouTube called wait for you. And it sounds cashmere ish and, 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 but they're a metal hair band. So I I think guilty by association that Zeppelin was an influence on heavy metal artists. Doesn't mean that led Zeppelin was heavy metal. Right.
2: I agree. I totally agree.
0: Right. Yeah. So I, I think we can make the case for that now. That was in the and, and I think also because the these groups in the eighties were so close to Led Zeppelin, it, it was kind of you know like oh well you know these guys are kind of knocking off and it's metal and and it's kind of close and and it was it was obvious that these people were ripping off Led Zeppelin and I don't think it was well received because Led Zeppelin was still had, hadn't been disbanded for very long so it was kind of like well you're ripping these guys off and and they're really good and you're just like eh. even <laughs> even White Snake to a, l- a lesser extent the album "Slided in by Whitesnake with David Coverdale. Very, I, I heard that and I thought it was plant. I thought it was a Zeppelin yeah. album. Yeah. Uh, and I picked it up because it had that sound to it. So it it, it was pervasive through the eighties. The, the influence of Led Zeppelin.
2: Yeah.
0: Fast forward to now, and there's a group called Greta Van Fleet.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I highly suggest if you haven't heard of Greta Van Fleet, I'm going to give you two songs to, to, to check out. There's two songs. One is called Highway Tune, and one is called When the Curtain Falls. Now, those sound like Zeppelin titles, first of all. Yeah, yeah. Highway Tune sounds like a lemon song, you know. So it's it's there. And and when I first heard Greta Van Fleet, I was really, like, against him. I'm like, what are these guys doing? And it, it, it is. Highway Tune, the guy sounds like Robert Plant. The riffs are obviously adaptations of page <laughs> yeah. riffs so that kind of bothered at first it bothered me i'm like what are these guys doing and but then I, I kind of stopped and thought i'm like this is some 30 40 years later and and these group and these guys were young and they were like in their teens when they started doing this and and these guys found this as an influence and adapted it this would be to me the equivalent of zeppelin ripping off Howling wolf and, and anybody else doing basically doing those songs like and redoing them, right. And stealing them. Uh, so when I looked at it that way, I'm kind of like, you know what? Th- there's so much time that passed that it, this is, I was kind of putting the eighties occurrence on it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so much time has passed that it's almost been like two generations away. And Greta van fleet is embracing Led Zeppelin. Now they've already come out with a second album. They've already ad- kind of started to move away from it, but listen to highway tune. And when the curtain falls and, you will think, oh wow, this was like unearthed Zeppelin stuff. Like I never heard this before.
2: I I really haven't listened to the entire thing. Um, I'm not familiar with them that much. I've, I I know of them. I, I've heard, but if they owned it, if they if they flat out said we want to be Zeppelin, I'd probably appreciate that a little bit more because at least they're honest about it. They're not, you know, this is a thing. Maybe a kitschy thing. Maybe a sort of a you know. There are, you know, groups out there that are just unabashedly trying to do, recreate something, and that's, and that's their, and that's the stick, that is, the, that is what they want to do, but I don't know if they, if they've done that or not. Are they, are they flat out admitting? They, that? They or, admit, or, or, okay. they, yeah, they admit that, that
0: Led Zeppelin is an influence.
2: Okay, and or influence, they're not, they're trying, not trying to be to, Zeppelin. <laughs>
0: they're not trying to be Zeppelin, because they've, because they've already you know. started to evolve that sound, but. The the those two songs are so unmistakably Zeppelin that when you hear it, it's like what is going on here, and that's kind of what bo- irked me about it. Mm. But then I started thinking that this is so far removed that they're not trying to half the people that are that would be in their listening age audience would not even know who Led Zeppelin was. So what they're doing, honestly, is is exposing. Hopefully, if someone says, "Oh, you're a ripoff," and then someone says, "Goes check out Led Zeppelin," well, they're going back in time and they're going to go check that out and they'll, they'll see where the influence yeah. is. Yeah, um, and and that's a win win. Yeah, that's a win win. I'll
2: buy. It. So yeah, it's, it's I'll buy that. It's good stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I I I was like the the jaded person of you know what what are these guys doing? And after listening and, and kind of thinking about it, I, I kind of turned uh, turned around on them and and kind of embrace it. Now when I hear it, I really got, I kind of get into it because it's almost like yeah, this is like hearing like Zeppelin style stuff, new and, and authentic. So they're not doing it with drum machines. It's it's a, it's a group of four, and there's three brothers. The the guitarist, the singer and bass player are, are all brothers. And then the, the drummer is a friend. So there's a family thing there. And so there's a shared, shared history of enjoying it. And there's, um, if you go on YouTube and you search for Robert Plant, Greta Van Fleet, they ask Robert Plant about it and he, he loves it. He, he's like, oh these guys gosh. are great. They, they are Led Zeppelin. He, he, yeah. he's, he I totally, yeah, I think for him, it must be fla- for him. It must be flattering because this guy's, I'm telling you this guy's vocals is is um his vocals hit the hit the highs that plants used to hit? Yeah. So he sings like plant in that way. He can hit those high notes, and his vocalizations are very very similar. So if you're looking for something recent, and you don't want to go back to Led Zeppelin, go to Greta, Greta Van Fleet.
2: Now, did they? Are we talking about one album here, or did they make multiple albums that sound? Are they consistent with that, or they put out EP? They put out an EP first. Okay.
0: Which was kind of their almost like their demo stuff, which was the Zeppelin sounding, and then they put out basically another EP, but they compi- combined the two okay. to make like an album. So that first body of work is really the Zeppelin stuff. They have a new album coming out really soon. They just released two singles from it, um, and and the first the second single I heard something something machines in the title. It doesn't sound like it. It doesn't sound like it. So they're already so folding good. That's a good they're thing. folding in folding in the Le- the Led yeah. Zeppelin experience. You know, you you're gonna get a. If they tried to just do that, yeah, that's gonna wear off pretty quick. They they made their splash with it because they sound amazingly yeah. like Zeppelin in a good way, but now they're they're folding that in and they probably realized, okay, we're here. Let's see where, where, where we're we're going to go with it next. So I, I look forward to seeing what other influences they have because they're well, really very. Receptive I was just about to
2: say to if they if they if they made an album next an album sounded like another band or you know they were trying to evoke something else that would be cool I think that, culture, that they you know. I think Culture Club. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I mean, they want to just try different things. So it's Zeppelin, yeah, Culture Club, yeah. and it'll be Tom Jones, I think. was The only,
2: the only thing really third. thing I know, I know about them is there, there's, a, there's a guy named Steven Wilson, who is a, he's a prog musician today. He went back and he remixed uh, some of the classic Yes albums and, and did like a sort of his own remix of them, which sound pretty damn good, I, sh- I, I have to say. He's not a fan. I've I, I read that he's like, he, these guys are a joke. They're, you know, they're a boy band. They're they're doing this kind of, and he flat out despises them. And that's really the only thing that I've really heard about. I mean, I've heard of them that they, they do sound a lot like them, but I, I don't, I'm not familiar with it. So yeah. give them, yeah. give them a try. Give them a try. Yeah. So that's, so that's Led Zeppelin too. Back to sixty nine, their their
0: influence. They actually Zeppelin two entered the charts again in twenty fourteen. Actually, was top ten when they did a reissue of it. So it's it has the staying power. It's a perennial. It's it's got the riffs galore on it. So just kind of pull it up, put a headphone on, or just put it in the speakers, or put it on on in the car, and you'll be like you'll be you'll definitely be tapping your fingers to this thing one way or the other. If if the first riff doesn't get you, there's going to be other ones coming behind that that will get you. Yeah. So to wrap up and sum it up, if, if you're a fan of rock and roll, you need this in your life. That's the bottom line for Led Zeppelin, too. Yep. So that's going to that's gonna do it for this episode of 3324. want to thank everybody for stopping by, and we will see you on the flip side.
1: You've been listening to the 3324 podcast with Dean Legiro and Eric Kuber. You can find us on your favorite podcast provider, so please like, subscribe, and rate to become a part of the 3324 family. Your feedback is important, so make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at 3324 Podcast and on Twitter at 3324P to join the conversation.